Hello and welcome to Film Inquiries, the latest. This is a podcast series tackling the latest movie news, movie trends, and movie releases. And after two weeks off the air, I'm back. It's me, your host, Jesse Nussman. We got an exciting next several months ahead of us. We're not stopping. And joining me on this episode, fresh back from the great white north, is Daniel Feingold. Daniel, welcome back. Thank you for filling in last minute. We had some other plans for this episode. And um, let's just say a lot of people got sick. And Daniel, you were courteous enough, even though it hasn't been that long since you were on, to just be like, yo, I could, I could jump on this episode. I was there. I was in Toronto. I'm always here for content. So uh, I, I will say that, you know, you could consider me being sick with what I think we both did to our stomachs while in Toronto, just the, the mix of cuisines and coffee throughout the day. And I, I, I did go ahead and get some poutine uh, later at night too. I think that was probably nine or 10 when I was eating that. Or I did not it. experience the, the poutine, but I did one day between screenings have like French fries that were smothered in like chicken tikka masala. So just unforgivable, just unforgivable stuff. Like I hope, I hope our stomachs will forgive us someday. One one day, uh, but Daniel. Before we get into talking about uh, the Toronto International Film Festival and the fall festival season, and using it as kind of like a springboard into talking about really the next kind of three to four months of movies, um, some sad news that um, I'm sure some of our listeners are aware of, but it was kind of so major, like we could not not mention it on this show. Um, we lost the great French auteur Jean-Luc Godard. Um, I, kind of weird, like you and I were at the airport, I think like about to get on a flight to leave, and I was just sort of scrolling through Twitter and was just like, oh, like how... I, I don't I don't know like hor- horribly ironic that like you know the day that we're leaving this like great international film festival that you know see the news that um really one of the major figures I I I mean I would dare to say like one of the major important people in just the history of movies as like an artistic medium um you know Jean-Luc Godard someone who you know, has been making movies since the 60s, started out as a film critic, um, one of the central figures of the French New Wave movement, and really found a way to kind of reinvent the idea of, like, what a movie could be. I mean, I, I don't know what your sort of familiarity is with his work. I had maybe seen, like, a couple of his movies um, and went back this past weekend and there's like an entire collection on the the Criterion channel of mo- most of his classic movies from um, the 1960s, although he continued making stuff all the way up until his death. I believe his last movie was like 2018. Um, but someone who was just sort of like, I, 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 a tweet I saw the kind of like shortly after he died that I thought like, really kind of perfectly summed up kind of what he meant to movies was Ty Burr, who is the uh, former film critic for the Boston Globe, sort of tweeting saying like, Godard was to movies what someone like Picasso was to painting and sort of like taking the rules and conventions and ideas of not just sort of story structure and narrative, but like the 
the aesthetic rules that we think of as part of movies and sort of exploding them and rearranging them and putting them back together in different pieces and having this very kind of meta postmodern style that was sort of, as I said, kind of constantly looking for ways to break conventions and to go against the sort of traditional rules of cinema. Um, just, I, I, I mean, as, as I said, he is just not just like a central figure in terms of his influence and the people who came after him and took things from him, but of, you know, there's, you're very rarely going to get on like a list of people who like actually in like the idea of the jump cut is something Jean-Luc Godard invented. Like <laughs> there, there are fundamentals that we think of as part of visual storytelling that kind of he helped pioneer and sort of trying to figure out what is a new way that we can be doing this that is sort of like breaking apart from the the traditional mold. Um, and so I, I, I don't know if you have anything to add. I just figured it was important to to mention. I would say if there's anyone out there who has not seen the Jean-Luc Godard movie, as I said, there's this great collection on the Criterion channel. I think the perfect place to start is probably his very first movie, Breathless, from 1960 it's probably the most approachable of his movies while also is just like one of the most influential important movies uh ever made and is like a really uh, one of those movies if you see it at the right age it just kind of like explodes your idea about like oh i did not know that you could do this in a movie and tell a story this way and you could use all of these fun creative workarounds for different kind of visual and aesthetic tricks that you might not be able to achieve on a low budget. Um, so I don't, I don't know if you have anything to add, but um, it certainly is like a major loss is what I said, like one of the most important people in just the history of this medium as a whole. Yeah, I think, I think you said it and I, I think probably similar to, to how you put it, I'm less familiar with maybe his actual work and more familiar with his legacy mm -hmm. and certainly seeing kind of film Twitter all react kind of it show, shows you shows you that legacy and how prevalent and relevant he still is to this day well let's let's move on from that sad news and and talk about something actually happy you and i were both at the toronto international film festival um just say before we get into this conversation a lot of great reviews on the film inquiry site i wrote a couple but um, we had a huge team of, I think, like five people um, there covering a wide variety of movies. Um, and sadly, due to outside circumstances, wasn't able to have anyone else from Film Inquiry on the episode. But Daniel, very glad to have you on. Let's 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 take a step back. Let's take a macro approach and then kind of work ourselves in. You know, this this was the first year in really like two or three years that the festival has been back in full swing um you know obviously 2020 it was canceled during the pandemic and last year there was a very as i understand kind of spared back um version of the festival at sort of 50 percent capacity and it wasn't as much of a kind of like lively atmosphere on the streets um but just i guess in general like what, what was it like to be back in toronto this year and to kind of experience this festival kind of for the first time in a couple of years, kind of being back in full swing. Cause it, it really is this like incredible festival, of, like a bunch of different things, like 
any kind of movie you can imagine, like prestige Oscar movies, mainstream crowd pleasers, stuff from other countries, cool genre stuff, very, very art house stuff. There's kind of a little bit of everything for everyone. And that's just on top of all the like Q&As and various industry events that are going on there and people, whether they're journalists or people who work in the film industry or people who work in the theater industry, like running around and conversating about movies and creating this like very lively atmosphere to be in. I love Toronto. Uh, I had the privilege of covering the festival in 2018. Um, and that was, I guess, maybe a little less frantic or hectic or kind of like, let's see how it goes. That had like, I had like a much more set schedule going into that of like, here's mm-hmm. what I'm going to, here's what I'm mandated to see. Like, here's what, and obviously press screenings this time around first come first serve, but in general, just a joy, love that city and love that festival. Like you said, there's something for everyone. If you want to see the big buzzier movies, you can see those. If you want to see the movies that maybe don't have distribution yet or are, certainly considered more of indie films, art house films. You can see those. You could do a little bit of both. If you want to see some cool documentaries, you can just do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they, they do a, a pretty good job of spacing out the screenings. So you are able to get a little bit of everything. Obviously we weren't going to be able to see every kind of big buzzier movie, but it's spaced out over, two weekends essentially. And I thought they did a pretty good job of giving you options for, especially for the the folks who are maybe just going to go for four or five days or just going to pick one, one weekend to kind of anchor their trip around, which is what we certainly did. And I think going in, obviously this was, this was well noted um, that there was some ticketing problems widespread for, I think yeah. basically everyone that said, as you know, frustrating and maybe as uh, a bit of a letdown as that was kind of going in and dealing with that when the ticketing redemption window opened, we ultimately, I think both of us ended up getting what, 80, 90% of like what we wanted. So yeah, I think that's a real testament to like the people who the, you know, the volunteers and people who work for the festival were, were like to, to sort of go the extra mile to in the midst of kind of this, like, I, I think everyone would admit kind of like ticketing catastrophe that sort of like unfolded the week before. And and this is this is a little bit of like us <laughs> of like first world problems is is like right. us on a podcast complaining about a ticketing system. But um, yeah, I, I, I think it, it gave me like a, a, it leads into a great appreciation for everyone who puts on the festival and seeing how much work it goes into it and being able to kind of like run with it and be accommodating in the midst of kind of like an awkward stumble kind of right out of the gate, if that makes sense. The, the, and yeah, the, the, the box office ticketing folks answering the phones could never have expected getting that much, that, that many calls and basically having to assign, like get people the tickets that they wanted. Cause that's not how it was supposed to work. It was supposed to all be online. So yeah, absolute incredible patience and help from, from those folks hat tip to them obviously the volunteers of course while you're there there's a little little cute ad that runs before each screening where um they always get an applause because 
there are so many great volunteers that are spending their time just doing it for for the love of movies and i thought the the um i don't remember what the what the ad was in 2018 and how different this one was but it's cute it's uh it is it is much respected maybe in the way that we uh we adore the the Nicole Kidman AMC love of movies ad sure um so let's let's kind of talk about some of the 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 bigger movies and bigger trends um i'm curious whether you in sort of the the days since we've been back like have been reflecting on the amount of movies you saw and and seeing any kind of trends amongst the the sort of wealth of stuff you've seen of like okay this, this is something that connects a lot of the movies like two things i thought of i feel like i saw at least four or five movies that were all kind of like about parents and children and and par- whether the children reconciling with parents or parents reconciling with children um as well as several movies at the festival one of which we didn't get to see um triangle of sadness but multiple movies that seemed kind of like big farcical class satires on out of touch uh one percenters um i'm I'm curious of like your thoughts about like kind of those theories as well as like any other trends you sort of saw connecting a lot of the different movies that were at this festival a few takeaways would uh echoing what you were saying uh call your parents call your mom (laughs) call your dad and those are separate movies um but the, the the kind of common theme was like, hey, check in, check in on your parents, let them know you love them or your family in general. Um, also, yeah, a lot of social commentary, uh, which is certainly not unique to filmmaking. But no. it when when you're seeing like 14 movies in the span of like four and a half, five days, um, and like I don't know, ten out of the fourteen feel like they have you know specific social commentary, and a lot of them overlap a little bit. Um, it, it, it does, it does pierce you a little bit more than, you know, just seeing a movie a week throughout your normal day-to-day life. So that definitely, I definitely like, there, there was a point where in the, in the middle of the festival, I think kind of like in this, in the midst of like seeing four movies in a day where it was like, oh man, I'm kind of like. This is, kind of, this is kind of like washing over me maybe a little bit too heavily here. Like I just, at that point, there was a point where I was like, I just need to see something that has nothing to say. And it's just like pure entertainment or like pure trash. Like give me something where I don't have to think. But that is, you know, man lands on moon. Like we're at a film festival. Like there's going to be a yeah. lot of movies that have something to say. Not not a complaint. It's just like, maybe I didn't brace myself as much as I needed to. Or, because I, I went, the approach that I took with, really all of these movies was to know as little as possible. Like even, even something like the Fablemans or glass onion. It's like, I want to know, I don't want to watch the trailer. Not that there even was a trailer available until after we saw the Fablemans, but knives out, like uh, another movie that I'll, I'll, I'll want to talk about later biosphere. Like I, I knew, I wanted to know nothing about these movies, maybe other than like who's in them or who's directing them. Um, so in, in that sense, maybe I was a little, blindsided with kind of the amount of messaging or social commentary that I was getting. Yeah. So let's maybe kind of talk about some of the bigger movies that premiered there. I think going into the festival, the two that had the most anticipation were Steven Spielberg's new movie, the Fablemans, which ended up winning the, uh, the audience prize at the festival and then glass onion, which is the sequel to 
Knives Out. Um, obviously, these are both movies that we will do bigger, longer episodes on, kind of fully breaking breaking them down kind of later in the year. Fablemans comes out around Thanksgiving, Glass Onion coming out more around Christmas. So won't get too into spoilers. Um, I think you and I both really love the Spielberg movie. I think it was for both of us, it was probably our favorite thing we saw there. Um, I, I, I knew going in that, you know, this was clearly a movie he had made about his experience growing up about his, the way he got into filmmaking about the divorce of his parents, which to anyone who has any like vague knowledge of Steven Spielberg knows that he has been very open about that being like a very traumatizing thing for him as a child that um, he has not shied away from in any of his movies. Um, You know, it's you, you can't watch something like ET or close encounters of the third kind and not sort of see that kind of obvious imprinting on there. Um, But I, I was just, I mean, I think this new movie of his both really works as just like, Steven Spielberg, even in his mid seventies is, I mean, I mean, it's the same conversation as I had about West side story last year. Like he's still a world-class entertainer. He still is just such a master at image making on screen and knowing how to move the camera and use light and sound to convey emotion. Um, and there's just moments in this movie that are like, it's, it's pure, it's pure cinematic magic. Um, but I think also it's a re- the reason I'm excited to do like a longer episode on it kind of closer to when it comes out is it is a really interesting sort of vessel at which to sort of view the career and um, the aesthetic of Steven Spielberg because I mean it, my, my almost favorite way to to think about it this last week and it, it has been a movie that like the the more days that have gone by, the more I've thought about it. Um, is there were all the memes sort of circling around like Twitter after it screened that were kind of like loosely comparing it to the Nathan Fielder show of like it's kind of Steven Spielberg's version of the her- rehearsal. And there is something kind of perversely fascinating about him taking his own life experience and like these events that happened to him and his family and making a movie out of it and the the blurring of the line of like how much of this is real, how much of this is fiction. I think ultimately at the end of the day, it's a little bit more like self mythologizing than self reflection. But even if you take it as self mythologizing, it's interesting to think about like, okay, here's someone who's a masterclass, like cinematic entertainer and what sort of liberties and things out of his life is he pulling on, maybe exaggerating, maybe, saying um you know to, to quote another great critic you know at adam Neyman's review at the ringer where he was basically saying it's like spielberg choosing to print the legend um there are like a lot of allusions to the the john ford movie uh the man who shot liberty balance where that's like a big theme of that movie and and then th- just the more thinking about steven spielberg trying to construct a really exhilarating drama out of his own life and like the point at which it is like the director directing his own life story that that is something that's like endlessly fascinating to me um but i'll i'll pass the ball to you because i know you like really greatly loved it as well 
yeah, I, I have to uh, make an announcement. I, I'm in love and I'm in love with the movie. And yet my love for the Fablemans does not feel as strong as the love that Steven Spielberg has for his parents and for cinema. Um, uh-huh. I'll never be able to match that. But yeah, the more it sits with me, the more, and this is, this is such coming from a place of privilege where we've gotten to see it before a general audience or mm-hmm. we saw it, we, we, we did see it with the general audience, but before it's wide release in theaters. And yet I feel like I am in pain because I don't get to experience the movie again yet. And I will never you have again, to wait two more months to right, see it again. <laughs> I, I will, I will never get to experience that first viewing of the Fablemans again. And it's like, I want that experience again. I want that back. Um, just purely magical to quote myself because this is just this is still how I feel, and I think you've made the point of like we don't give Spielberg enough credit. Like he he still he still is somehow underappreciated or like yeah I I, I think doubted. we just like yeah I think we just like take him for granted. Like you know to say like Steve to talk to like praise Steven Spielberg is to like be like man water is such an essential part of our life. Isn't like right. a refreshing glass of water great or something like that? But like you know we that maybe allows us to overlook like just moments in this movie um that i'm i'm sure we'll like i said we'll get more in depth with like when it gets closer to coming out but you're just sort of like no one's doing that like this yeah. is insane like how like incredible like this sequence or this shot is um and just like like i said it's just his total master understanding of of light of movement of composition and how to use all those things to like convey emotion through cinema is 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 still kind of unparalleled and just to kind of, just to like recap exactly what what's happening here this is a movie by steven spielberg about steven spielberg reminding us that steven spielberg arguably one of the best to ever do it like here king you drop this it's a crown <laughs> like it's it's so good it's it's also one of the funniest movies of the year which you oh probably yeah would not expect going in um heartfelt but also just deeply funny, like laugh out loud funny. Um, a movie that also you may not really necessarily... I mean, it's a Spielberg movie and it's about cinema. So like, yes, it's important to obviously see it in theaters, but like the importance of seeing it with other people and like a crowded cinema, I think is mm-hmm. also important. Not just seeing it on the big screen, simply like in a, in a theater by yourself, but, you know, like a Friday night opening weekend type situation. Um, Spielberg got... And the cast, um, when this premiered, they got a long extended standing ovation that was actually cut off by the moderator. And obviously kind of, you know, TIFF is not a a, a festival where people are like timing the ovations, but I would have been curious, you know, how this would match up to some of the the longer ones uh, that were, that were clocked at Venice. If you know, this, this hadn't been shut down uh, because I think like the screening ended because this this played right after knives out and knives out also yeah. had a q, q a so it's like this was getting out at like midnight or after midnight so the, the moderator was kind of like all right we got to move things along here we gotta, we want to talk to spielberg in the cast but um just just a delight and this feels like a movie i think i, I mentioned this to you you know like some some kids and, and adults now have kind of like a Christmas story as like their kind of annual tradition. This to me feels like my Christmas story. Finally, like something that this movie is not about Judaism, but he certainly leans into his Jewish upbringing in a way that 
really connected with me and was uh, adorable and at times uproariously funny and just like a, a like comfort food comfort food viewing that I could see becoming a tradition every time I go home for Thanksgiving or Hanukkah or whatever it is like where I just sit with my mom or dad or brother and sister and we we watch the Fablemans. Um, it's I, I just I can't say enough good things. You'll talk about it more when it comes out, but um, I I love this movie. Certainly, certainly one of my favorites of the year. My favorite of the festival. I'm not sure anything is really going to top it when it comes down to like my top ten at the end of the year when we get closer to Oscars. Yeah. Um. So the other big one that that played that you mentioned kind of like had its premiere right before um was Glass Onion which is the the sequel to Knives Out, the sort of, I, I feel like kind of surprise hit in the sense that like, I don't think anyone knew it was going to become like as successful as it did. Um, Kind of Agatha Christie style murder, mis- star-studded murder mystery from writer-director Ryan Johnson. Um, The sequel is going straight to Netflix at the end of the year. Um, I think kind of fits... I, I think fits as sort of the ideal version of what Netflix's new movie strategy seems to be. Like, especially when you compare it to something like the gray man in terms of like just commercial movies with big flashy movie stars in it. And this is like the much better version of that. Um, kind of a weird movie for us to talk about. Um, I wrote the review for film inquiry and like, as I started writing was like, shoot, I don't, this is going to be harder than I thought because I kind of can't talk about this movie <laughs> but without like spoiling anything. Um, I think we can just talk about who's in it kind of vaguely what it's doing in relation to the first one. Um, it got like a bill- really big reaction at the festival, but I would say I, I had a good time, but I would not say I liked it quite as much as the first one. Um, I think in some ways it's maybe not, as clever as like what what I really liked about the first one was kind of I wrote in my review like the first one is to something to like Agatha Christie what like Scream is to Friday the 13th it was sort of like acknowledging like audience we know you know the beats of this like murder parlor mystery movie backwards and forwards you know what to expect but we're gonna have like a little bit of fun and kind of like breaking down kind of the conventions of that and sort of acknowledging the cliches, but then also like flip it into something kind of new and unexpected. And I wouldn't say this new one quite does that. Um, but, and, and I would say in particular, like Ryan Johnson, I think really tries to kind of hearkening back to what we were talking about earlier with some of the like class satire stuff, I think really tries to up a lot of the, social commentary in the movie and make this really a a kind of uh a farcical movie about um vain rich people in today's modern day media era and i would not say that's necessarily johnson's strongest suit as a writer i think he's much better at the kind of like playing around with genre conventions than he is in sort of like making topical commentary but even then, I I had a like solidly fun time with 
this big cast of people that obviously Daniel Craig returning doing his Boghorn Leghorn impersonation and then also having like Catherine Hahn, Dave Bautista, Edward Norton, Janelle Monet, Kate Hudson, um Leslie Odom Jr. from Hamilton. It's 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 a really really fun cast of people and I think at the end of the day like if you're getting the family around the television this Christmas, although this is kind of a good movie to see with an audience because of how like goofy and over the top it is in places. I would say it's, it's an even like broader goofier movie than the first knives out was. Um, I, I know you were not a fan of it. I don't know if you want to, you want to walk through and then I I think we can maybe tie this one up of this would be like a better one to talk about when it's out on Netflix because we sort of, kind of have to bounce around what happens in it um i i i guess in tossing the ball to you like who do you feel like is sort of the the standout person in the cast in like the first one i think like Ana de armas wasn't necessarily the person people were necessarily like looking out for in the first one but is the kind of the person that like when everyone was leaving the theater people were like oh holy cow she's a a movie star and sort of stole the movie is is there kind of like one person in this movie that you think like really stands out from this kind of like big flashy cast if i may shout out i i did kind of touch on this in my review for newsy um i would say not unlike the uh anna de armas Daniel Craig chemistry in the first one and that kind of relationship on screen, Janelle Monet and Daniel mm, Craig in this one. Yeah. That's really where the movie worked for me. Um, I'd I, agree. I, the movie is never boring. Um, it, it buzzes along um, and it's, it's entertaining. I think the second half worked a lot more for me than the first half. And mm. I think that coincides with the parts where really, Janelle Monet gets to carry the movie a lot more. Um, yeah. And I just, and that's, it, it was just, it was a lot more fun and entertaining and interesting and insightful to follow her character and Daniel Craig a little bit more than getting all of the meeting the ensemble cast of characters out of the way, because that's really where I felt Johnson's laying on the satire and the social commentary he's laying it on really thick Mm -hmm. and kind of suffers for me the same way that don't look up was like on paper should be amazing. But then it's just like you have the writer, director, producer person in each case kind of like elbowing you, elbowing you really, really hard being like, get it, get it. Huh? Mm -hmm funny right like you've been on twitter lately right you've you're living through the times that we're living through it's like and i i wrote about this like there's got to be a better way to go about doing this kind of satire than just being either not funnier than what real life is or it's it's neither or outrageous enough to to really land it's just like it's going to get a laugh in the theater but ultimately like i don't think I don't. It's more I honestly of a kind don't of remember. Like, at, snap like, like right. Oh, oh, you go, girl. Kind of clap, right? Laugh there, or something like, like that. I would challenge anyone who saw the, the the movie at TIFF to like 
do you remember any of the jokes from like the first, like I think the the parts that you're going to remember more are really the Daniel Craig savory chewing the scenery stuff mm-hmm. and anything that kind of happens later in the movie than like the setup of again the social commentary where it's I think like you said kind of like oh bird there is one joke about sweatshops that I will I won't ruin, but like is the like one moment where I think I like laugh the hardest in the in the theater. Though, <laughs> though that does come later. That does come yes. later. And I, I did I, I agree that that one was that one did get me. Um and again, it's still it's not like I would I, I'm I'm right down the middle, I think, with this movie because yeah. ultimately it is a crowd pleaser. It's a fun time with a bunch of celebrities at a beautiful in a beautiful location. Um but yeah, I don't like if I hate I hate I hate doing the thing where you can you know we compare the movie to the first one. Like I just would love for this to stand on its own and just be yeah. able to critique it for that. That and said, I don't I don't think you have to have seen the first one because I was talking oh no, to one of my yeah. cousins yesterday and he was like I kind of don't remember anything from the first one. And I was like, well, really the only thing that like kind of connects them is just the Daniel Craig character. Like otherwise, yeah, it's, it's pretty much its own like standalone thing. Yeah, this is going to be an anthology franchise. Just the yeah, the only thing is Daniel Craig. Um, that that said, you know, all, all that aside, like I think the first one is a superior movie in basically every way, except maybe we get a little bit more of Daniel Craig's bit here, doing you know, doing the accent and really kind of going ham in the best way possible. Um, which and I I think that that's when the movie succeeds the most. But at the same time, I will admit I am a Daniel Craig stand through and through. Like I will watch this dude do anything. If he wants to come back and do another five James Bond movies, which he doesn't, I would watch. Um, And if he does another five knives out movies, I will still watch because it's Daniel Craig and my dude can do no wrong. Yeah. I think a little bit of the reaction you kind of had to glass onion was uh, definitely the reaction I had to this this other class satire we saw the menu um, that I was definitely like the grumpy Greta of <laughs> around like the <laughs> among the like people what we were talking to in lines and stuff about this movie that um, stars like Ray Fiennes and uh, Anya Taylor Joy and I believe comes out next month um, was actually shot here in in Georgia kind of on the coast. Um, and is basically this like another one. I kind of don't want to fully ruin what happens in it, but the basically say it's like set at this like very elaborate um, fine dining restaurant, like you know the the kind that you would see where there's that Netflix show like Chef's Table. Like there would be an episode about this restaurant or something. And let's just say the uh, the chef who uh, Ray Fines plays and his staff um, have a a much more uh, sinister menu to to harken back to the title in store for the uh wealthy rather obnoxious patrons um visiting their uh their restaurant one evening um this was the movie that like for me during the festival of like i wanted to to hurl tomatoes at of of this it just sort of felt to me like the most kind of broad obvious like satire of like Oh yeah, what if the rich person who doesn't tip got their like comeuppance by the the people who are working hard in the kitchen? I don't know. It just and the idea of doing like you know something as inherently political as food, like to 
use that and kind of the dynamic of a kitchen and a restaurant as the base for um, a movie like this, I thought was a really kind of creative, interesting allegorical idea going into it. I just sort of found it like, I I like jumped off the boat like long before it was over of just sort of like, I kind of get where this is going. It's not, it doesn't have the kind of tension that I want out of it. I don't think it's nearly as funny as it thinks it is. And it just sort of seemed like a movie that like, with the exception of like one joke around like um, student loans that I won't ruin for anyone, like was what really just sort of seemed to be the movie equivalent of like, yeah, getting those like snaps and like, yes girl a claps from the audience um or or on twitter people like it 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 just it felt like the most sort of obvious kind of tired eat the rich sort of commentary at, that you could throw together on a piece of paper to me and was just sort of craving something that was like felt a little more a little more fresh but I kind of wanted to send this one back to the kitchen and that's it for my food metaphors on it. I, as you know, felt the exact opposites. I, yeah, I you kind of loved movie. it. Yeah. yeah. I would, I would put this in, in, in the top tier of, of the movies that we saw at TIFF. Um, I, maybe this comes from me not being a foodie and not really consuming, no pun intended, a lot of food shows. I, I will say shows. The, the foodie community is well worthy of having daggers thrown at it. <laughs> I just found all of the sort of jabs it was willing to take it were like kind of the most obvious sort of like eye rolling, like, wow, you really hit like the lowest hanging fruit on 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 the tree sort of thing. But continue, continue. <laughs> and yeah, for for what for whatever reason, maybe maybe it's just kind of my detachment from that world that it it just worked for me and it was fresher for me maybe because again maybe it is the fact that i just i don't i don't watch a lot of cooking shows i used to watch food network a lot and Mm -hmm. um i I just got away from it and so yeah i I don't watch a lot of this this reality cooking competition stuff um and i just i the the content that i uh am around at most for for the foodie stuff is stuff on social media so so this really worked for me um and I, I just, I desperately want some kind of crossover with the menu and the bear of maybe we take the diners in the menu and put them at the bear, or maybe we take I, the I kitchen would from the bear for, and put them in this restaurant. I would love for a season two of the bear where Anya Taylor-Joy comes on the cast as, yeah, as maybe she's like an, maybe she's like an investor in the restaurant. I would watch that. That sounds awesome. Um. But Just yeah, our reactions at the end, I was yes, chef. You were no chef. Yes. <laughs> I, I, um, I love this. I, I can't wait to see it again. Um, and this it's the big movie like, you and I personally like really disagreed with yeah. on uh, at the festival. Um, one other kind of like bigger movie that I wanted to mention just because it it just came out. There were actually two movies that just came out this past weekend that played at the festival. Um, there was Woman King, which seemed to be. The movie that if you were just in Toronto that week, it was impossible to avoid anything about this movie. It felt like every block there was like a poster or a billboard or like a mural on the side of the building dedicated to this movie. Um, 
it's basically uh it stars viola davis and is kind of this old-fashioned sword and sandal epic um set in west africa in kind of the 1800s and viola davis leading this army of um this all-female army uh i believe that the african kingdom that they are a part of is uh dohemi um and basically how their kingdom is trying to wrestle with the impending like slave trade and the fact that their tribe as well as other african tribes are profiting from the slave trade as well as are sort of threatened by it at the same time but it really is kind of this old i mean it's dealing with these very like thorny historical ideas but it is kind of this very old-fashioned rousing sword and sandal epic like you know this felt like a movie that in those years of the early 2000s kind of after gladiator came back came out and everyone was like oh we need we need our version of gladiator like this this feels like a movie that would fit right in with kind of that trend of movies and even though i wouldn't say it's it's a great movie necessarily i think there's certainly some some kind of fair um you know spears to throw at it um the it, it, you know it is a movie that has a lot of plot in it and there are probably like things in the plot that i would have liked explored more versus some other stuff that kind of felt more fatty like you know some of the stuff with kind of their kingdom and trying to wrestle with whether they feel like they want to be a part of the slave trade anymore and wrestling with what they've done in the past, I think is a little bit more interesting than kind of like, I could have used more of that and less of like, there's a romance subplot in it that, you know, I think is kind of the least interesting part of the movie. But I think as a whole, it seemed most people we talked to at the festival um, had a really fun time with it. And like Viola Davis is like a pretty convincing action hero in it. And it's directed by Gina Prince Bythewood who made love and basketball and beyond the lights. And I, I don't know. I, I just, I had a solidly fun time with it. It's out in theaters. Now it sounds like it made a pretty good chunk of change over the weekend. And I think if, if you are looking for kind of like original adult kind of popcorn entertainment, I think this movie sort of satisfies that kind of what what did you think about it because i think you also like i had a really good time with it as well yeah i thought it was excellent one of the first movies uh i screened at the festival and definitely like crowd was super into it and it's like kind of if if you if you want to see viola davis and lashana lynch kick some ass on the big screen in beautifully shot and like expertly crafted action sequences man oh man do i have the movie for you like this is if if you know what this is going into the movie i don't see any reason how you can come out of it and being like oh that was a disappointment or oh i didn't have a i didn't have a good time or that i i didn't get my money's worth like this this was a very it, it was it felt the only i guess the only like knock i would say is could we could we not have had this come out like last month like it feels very much yeah in like august we had that kind of lull after bullet train and bullet train didn't even do very well um like this could have fit right in and i kind of agree action summer blockbuster whatever the decision was to put it out now okay like it's not like it's competing with 
giant movies right now. But um, yeah, like this is another movie where I think better seen on a big screen with uh, a, a theater with, with, with actual people around you. Um, but ultimately I do think this is going to get a, a second life when it does hit streaming because it's just, it's a very watchable movie. It's, it's, it's just, it's a, it's very entertaining. Um, I think kind of like how we were talking about Spielberg being underrated or underappreciated. Viola Davis is, I think widely considered one of our best actresses and, has been given it has won awards and yet i still feel like we underappreciate her or take mm. her for granted of like just how consistently great she is she can in my book she she could do no wrong like like when when's the last time if ever you've seen viola davis and been like ah, that wasn't that was underwhelming or that wasn't that good like even even in dog shit movies that she's like even in something like suicide she's squad great. like she's, she's always great, great in it yeah suicide squad the viola davis is not the not the problem in suicide no. like that that if is only, she, if, she if is like doing she's her best the one person like firing on all cylinders yeah. yes yes yeah like so so again like if you know what this movie is and it going in you're like oh this seems like something i would like i i don't see any way that you would come out of it like disappointed or underwhelmed like it just it is it is an excellent movie i think a, a really quality film and a good time at the theater yeah i think comparing it to something like gladiator or i'll try not to recommend it to this knowing that the person who directed and started it is is a very loaded uh controversial person now but but something like a, a gladiator or a braveheart kind of like is the style of movie that the and so i think if you like something like that this and and i saw some complaints of some of the more valid complaints i've seen of it are people being like and it kind of like rides the cliches of a lot of that genre and which i'm i i, I sort of took as being like i don't argue with that but like i think we're we're so starved for kind of like just good well-made pop entertainment now that like something like this um, was able to satisfy of like oh okay Th this is like a well-made version of this kind of movie warts and all um yeah, yeah. genre conventions aren't a bad thing if they're done well yeah like I, um, i'd have no problem with that also just want to shout out you know john boyega is in this movie and oh yeah kind of he's good what a what, what a what a month for him between uh breaking and now this so two yeah. two movies where uh he's he's kind of he certainly he's certainly straying away from from the Star Wars stuff. Yeah, and one movie I I didn't see we didn't go see at TIFF, um, but I saw kind of the day after we got back in town. Um, that is out now. Also is is Pearl, which is um I guess Ty West's secret prequel um to his horror movie X that came out earlier this year. Um, heard a lot of very positive buzz about it at the festival from people who went to the they did like a special mid early midnight screening of it there um i like i said i saw it when got back in town it's out in theaters now i would say i'm not as high on this as maybe other people are it's got a really fun gonzo mia goth performance at the center of it um she was also in x but um I would say that the kind of interesting thing Ty West is trying to do in this movie is sort of like if X was this sort of loving homage to like seventies grindhouse cinema, this is like, can we do that kind of movie, but in the aesthetic of like a fifties 
technicolor Hollywood melodrama, essentially. And I don't know if he ever quite captures the look and feel of that movie in as um, convincing of a way as he did with like the 70s grindhouse stuff in X. Um, And so I, I think for that reason, even though it's got this like very fun performance at the center of it, like, you know, Mia Goth in this movie. I know you you saw X and, and so like you saw her performance in that. This is like you know, to use the spinal tap analogy, like she she's going to turn the dial to 11. Um and it's very fun to watch in the movie. Um and you know, if there's any kind of justice in like awards stuff, like you know, her name would be in the conversation for this. I I just sort of missed a lot of the kind of like lurid grimy dinginess of of x and never got you know that that sort of fun feeling of like i'm watching something like really kind of nasty and perverted and you know not not suitable for work um and and even though this has some like gross out horror moments um i never quite got that same sort of like delightful sense of perversion that i did with with x so for for that reason i may be like in in a bit of a a different spot as some other people have i'm i'm a little mixed on it but um did want to shout that out as like both of those movies played early at the festival wanted to touch on them since they're both out in theaters now um i think what we're gonna do is we're gonna end this here but there's going to be a part two that you can listen to it'll be uploaded at the same time so just you know when these soothing sounds just wrap up here just fire up episode two we'll talk about some of our other favorite movies we saw some kind of more under the radar picks um maybe talk about what this means for the state of the oscar race film inquiry now now doing tiff ip yeah like yeah the secret second episode just like ty west did his like secret second horror movie so fire that one up i'm sure it's right next door to your feed uh and there will be more exciting tips